You're listening to News Talks on the Record on News Talk with me, Susan Kyo. I'm here until one o'clock this afternoon. Now, at the start of the programme with our panel, we were discussing uh, repeal of the Eighth Amendment, which was the main story of 2018. So to discuss this a little further, to look back at the campaign and the result and what's to come in 2019, I'm joined in studio by Ellen Coyne, journalist with the Times Ireland edition, and Ivana Bacic, Labour senator and longtime campaigner on this issue, among other things. Um, Ellen, I might come to you first. Uh, people are well aware of your dedication uh, to this story, particularly over the past year and you definitely were somebody who was there and watching everything as it happened over the course of the year and I know a lot of people you know really followed exactly what uh, you're reporting of it I suppose when you take a bit of a step back from it now as we come to the end of the year what what are your feelings on it and everything that happened? Um, I think it is important to maybe take stock of where we are at the moment because two years ago this was politically and socially unimaginable for Ireland and maybe I think because perhaps Ivana will know maybe for a long time we were patronising Irish people and assuming that a free safe legal abortion law essentially that will the one we'll have by the end of next week was too far for Irish people and for some reason compared to our European counterparts we were incapable of supporting something like that Um, but I think you know now that the kind of glow and ecstasy that the campaigners had in the and the shock as well that all of us experienced after the result it's kind of interesting to look back and realise that we went through this whole referendum campaign to repeal the Eighth Amendment and replace it with a free safe legal abortion law without anybody on the no side ever defending the Eighth Amendment, they just attacked the new law. And actually from, I suppose, a, a campaigning and maybe more from the political side of things, from Fianna Fáil and Fine Gael, people advocating for the Eighth Amendment to go without ever actually making a big argument about a woman's right to choose. That kind of feminist argument was missing from maybe the mainstream aspect of the campaign and people instead focused on the fact that the Eighth Amendment had to go because the things that it had done, the unintended consequences were so much worse than its complete failure to do what it had set out to to, to ban abortion in Ireland um, and I think that is kind of interesting and sometimes I wonder had the Eighth Amendment not been such a, a catastrophic failure and had it not had so many unintended consequences would mainstream Irish politics have been able to make that case for a free safe legal abortion law using feminist arguments that parties like Labour and other parties on the left had been doing up until now? Ivana, let me bring you in there. Um, is it no, noteworthy to take from the campaign the fact that, and we talked to Colm O'Gorman about this at the start of the programme, the reasons why people wanted to repeal the Eighth Amendment. So when you drill down into it and you looked at the reasons, it wasn't like the hard cases or the rape cases or incest. It was that people acknowledged that women had a right to choose. And that was definitely there. But was there a reluctance on the repeal campaign side to focus on that And did they focus a little bit on the hard cases? Did they feel they couldn't focus on the fact that, you know, most people did believe that women just had a right to choose? Well, as you say, Susan, I've been involved in this in a long, a long time. In fact, it's nearly 30 years ago, of course, that myself and my fellow student union officers in Trinity were taken to court and threatened with prison for giving women in crisis pregnancy information on where they could access abortion. In those pre-internet days, that information was only accessible through student unions at the time in Ireland. So, you know, I recall a very, very bleak time. Uh, now, clearly, we've moved on incredibly since then. And just listening to Ellen, and you know, I'm hugely 
really admiring of Ellen's writing on this issue of her exposure of the uh, fake information that was being given out by uh, clinics here, the by so-called clinics here over some years, you know, uh, by the way in which people were manipulating the law under the Eighth Amendment and so on. Um, but I'm also incredibly proud of the campaign run by Together for Yes this year and I was very proud to be part of it and on the advisory group. Uh, but it was led so well by Alva Smith, Gráinne Griffin and Orla O'Connor and the, uh, the huge civil society movement that came together under that umbrella. I think we were all very conscious of the need to ensure that the campaign was run in a way that was respectful of everyone's views. And I know Ellen says, you know, perhaps we didn't use so much the language of right to choose. Certainly in the Labour Party, I'm very proud we have a pro-choice policy. We've had it for many years. My party, long, long before, I have to say, long before I was involved, opposed the insertion of the Eighth Amendment in 1983. I was too young to vote then. But, you know, so, so certainly there's been people on the left and on the feminist movement arguing right to choose arguments for a long time. But I think in this campaign, it was very important that we kept a, a different sort of tone, perhaps, a tone that was respectful of people's views, that, that certainly highlighted the incredible incredible tragedy and mm. injustice brought about by the Eighth Amendment through the horrific cases of Savita Halapanavar, of the X case back in 92, of the absolutely appalling PP case of the young woman in the Midlands Hospital mm. in 2014. So, you know, without re- going back over all those, I think people were aware of the tragedy. They were aware that thousands of women had had to travel over the years. And I think there was a compassion that came out in the vote. Now, ultimately, we are now, as Ellen says, in a position where in two days time we'll have free, safe, legal abortion. Ireland. That's incredible to those of us who can campaigned for a long time. But I think the way we ran the campaign was right. I think we were right to keep the language perhaps more, uh, less adversarial and more consensual and to ensure that people felt their views were respected. And certainly even within my own group of friends and extended family, I was conscious that people moved towards Mm. a yes vote who wouldn't have been a yes vote, you know, even, well, a year ago, even, you know, even a couple of months or even a few weeks before the referendum. I think the way the referendum was run and we learned from marriage equality in 2015, I think it was a it was it was a way that brought people with us. Yeah, Ellen, we spoke a little earlier as well about the importance of the Citizens' Assembly in paving the way for getting us to where we are now and the importance of the Oireachtas Committee on abortion as well. How big a part role did Savita's death play? I mean, it was it's one of those things that's very, you know, her face, the mural that we saw, you know, go up in Dublin city centre around the time that that was a a kind of a crucial part of the campaign as well, wasn't it? Absolutely. I mean, I think particularly when it went back to the people during the referendum campaign, it was a case that even when you were following campaigners around on doorsteps, it came up a lot on the door. Mm. And I think that anybody who was at the mural, Savita's mural in Dublin, the day of the referendum, result will never ever forget it because it was extraordinary I've never seen anything like it Um, and yes it absolutely was and I think it's unfortunate for her family that in the kind of last few days of the campaign people were extracting different parts of her report of the report and her death to suit a different narrative and think that's very sad but one of the interesting things and what made it so unique internationally and I note that it's being kind of cited as a way of solving Brexit now was our Citizens Assembly on abortion didn't really focus on those infamous hard cases, those terrible travesties, Savita, Miss Y, Miss X, it actually took people into a room and was very evidence, scientific, human rights, legally based. And it showed that based on our experience, when you take people in and give them information only instead of kind of these travesties and awful human rights violations in these very, very hard cases, when they look at just the cold information on its own, kind of eight times out of 10, they'll come out maybe more pro-choice 
than they had been before. So it was, it was the information, it was the medical evidence, the medical profession played a huge part in it. Yes, they, yes, absolutely. And Alan's right, of course, those hearings were incredibly important and certainly brought, again, brought legislators in the Rochtus Committee and brought citizens in the Citizens' Assembly around to a view that the Eighth Amendment had to go. Medical evidence that the Eighth Amendment was having a chilling effect on doctors' practice, that was hugely important. But so too, of course, was the increasing evidence brought before the Committee and the Citizens' Assembly about the abortion pill. And in fact, um, Judge Mary Lafoy, who had chaired the Citizens' Assembly, told the Oireachtas Committee right at the start of their hearings that they needed to focus more on the importation of the pill by women because so 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 much has changed, I suppose, in a few years in that women are, were, uh, on, uh, even within the Eighth Amendment regime, accessing this, the pill, uh, abortion pills online and taking them here in Ireland. And there was huge fear among medics and among me- many people that it was going to lead to a medical tragedy because women were taking them under, without medical supervision, of course. And, and I think there was a lack of understanding that that was happening. And exposing themselves to criminal sanction. And, you know, there had been a, there has been a prosecution in Belfast for of a, a mother and her daughter who imported abortion pills. So, you know, these were all real fears and that the abortion, that the import of abortion pill and the increased availability of them online had really had really strengthened. So I suppose this was all the evidence the committee heard that brought them to recommending that we should have this this new law on abortion, which I'm so glad we have now passed through the Oireachtas in the last few days in December in the Dáil and the Shannon we passed that legislation through. I have to say during the campaign and indeed even since the referendum was defeated by that massive majority, there have been people who did defend the Eighth Amendment. I mean, again, we shouldn't lose sight of that. There were those who were advocating a no vote who did defend the Eighth Amendment in spite of all the manifest tragedy it had caused. So, you know, we did have to overcome, I think, strong arguments uh, against the yes vote. It was remarkable, though, for those of us who've campaigned for so long to see that 66.4%. I yeah. still have to keep saying it because it I was think an many of us win. can't quite believe how just how emphatic and resounding that win was. But it was very important, I think, that people spoke so decisively and it did make the passage of the legislation, I think, smoother than it would otherwise have been. Ellen, fears going into 2019, obviously this is going to come into play. There's been a lot of talk over the last kind of two months about whether it's going to be piecemeal or how quickly it's going to be up and running you know, as a full service. What would be your kind of concerns as we start the new year? I think that everybody accepts, even at a really senior government level, that this is not going to be like absolutely perfect. Mm. I think women will still be travelling, but now it will be kind of women travelling from maybe a tiny rural village where you don't want to go to a GP who's like your boyfriend's dad or your best friend's mom or something like that. And you're travelling to Dublin. You're going to have a situation where, I mean, people will obviously be attracted to non-profit groups like the Well Woman Clinic, the Irish Family Planning Association, where you know that those groups have been advocating for more of a pro-choice law. So maybe you might feel more comfortable going to them for abortion services. Um, I think that the other kind of parallel problems or snags that we might come into is this is, as Simon Harris said, a new era for women's healthcare in Ireland, but it's also massively a new era for anti-abortion activism in Ireland. They're now facing, Mm. you know, the Eighth Amendment is gone. That also means that they're probably not going to be in a position in the near future where they need to win over public support for a referendum vote anytime soon. That gives them a certain freedom to pursue certain types of activism that they wouldn't have done before. And as Anna said, we did have, we do have rogue crisis pregnancy agencies operating in Ireland the same groups that run those run uh, what some people would call protests or harassment what they call vigils outside anti-abortion clinics in the UK now we're not going to have private abortion clinics, clinics like Mary yeah. Stopes or Bpass. it's very difficult to discern if somebody's going into a GP clinic who is going in for yeah. a termination same thing with the maternity hospital but I mean as soon as the uh, referendum vote was announced last year those anti-abortion groups in the US and the UK were already organising flights for Irish activists to go and effectively train for this new frontier as they see it um, these people uh, kind of see 
see themselves as being like evangelists. It's a vocation. They see themselves as saving lives. And now that abortion is legally accessible in Ireland, you're going to see new kind of tactics. And I'm conscious that, yes, the government wants to bring in these exclusion zones, safe access zones to uh, protect women. But that law hasn't even, as far as I know, been drafted yet. So we're going to have this scope of the next few months where abortion is legal. Women are trying to access this, but it still will technically be legal for these protests and vigils and possibly harassment to take place. Would you share some of those concerns, Ivana? I would absolutely agree that I think we're likely to see that sort of tactic employed by the anti-choice campaigners. We saw some dreadful, um, you know, very uh, intimidatory tactics being used, frankly, outside maternity hospitals by anti-choice cam- uh, ca- activists, just a small number of them, of course, in the run up to the referendum. So I would be concerned. I mean, we did press this issue with Minister Simon Harris as he was putting the legislation through in the Dáil and the Shannet, And he assured us that early in the new year, he'd be bringing forward legislation to provide for safe access zones so women could access abortion services. I do want to give a, a shout out to groups like to, to the Irish Family Planning Association in particular, which has said, which has been quietly providing women reproductive health services for many years and which will now be providing services under the new law and which will definitely be a very important part of the new service while we wait for more GPs to sign up, even though I think there's a significant number already signed up and enough to make sure the service will run. The safe access zone law, though, is imp- important. We do need to see that very soon. But I would say this, we have public order legislation mm. and we do also have you know we do have uh, we do have laws that will protect women who are facing intimidation so you know I, I think that's important but it is important we get the new law in as well Ellen one quick question um, I just want to put to you uh, we did, there's been a lot of talk after the repeal campaign and, and indeed the marriage referendum campaign as well about how those two campaigns saw a generation of young people politicised and energised to get out and get involved and vote do you think it was very Um, issue specific or do you think that is something that we can take more from that there is just a group of young people that want to get involved or was it specifically to do with those two issues do you think? I think it's very hard to translate the turnout that you would have for something as seismic as the Eighth Amendment to like the European elections or the next general election but I do think that um, Sorry Ivana It is indicative of um, it's it's really it's a really good kind of gateway uh, referendum to get you in, interested in politics, and I think that a lot of uh, it's a nice way to <laughs> groups like maybe Labour or the Social Democrats I know have benefited from some amazing grassroots campaigners, particularly outside of Dublin, who are now being scooped up in the hopes of kind of turning them into TDs and ministers and and that sort of thing. I do think that if you look at uh, I mean how different we are to the country in two thousand and four that voted against the kind of citizenship mm. referendum, I would see things like that, or maybe possibly even a United Ireland. I think that. Uh, nationalism and republicanism for this generation, the kind of repeal generation, marriage equality generation is completely different to how it was kind of politically before. I think that that is something that now I'm kind of thinking is probably politically possible in my lifetime. And I think that Ireland will probably become much more almost Swedish or Nordic in our <laughs> social attitudes over the next couple of decades if uh, if the people who are interested now stay interested. Stay interested. I think we will see. I think that a lot of that energy is being harnessed. It was brilliant to see so many young people coming out uh, on repeal and previously on marriage equality and we did see quite a lot of campaigners from Together for Yes involving in the presidential election albeit that, you know, as, as <laughs> says, didn't quite attract the same turnout. But it was great to see Michael Higgins re-elected so sizably and so resoundingly and I think we'll see, you know, we'll see a galvanising of, of people 
people around these sort of issues and also into political parties on the left and, and, and certainly in Labour and in other parties on the left I think we're seeing that already. I do agree also on the citizenship issue. We brought forward a bill in the Shannon in the Labour group just uh, in the last term just a, a, a couple of months ago to try and restore some of the citizenship rights not birthright citizenship quite but certainly to ensure that we regular, regularise the position of so of a small but significant number of children born in Ireland who know no other home but Ireland but who are currently stateless or you know don't have the protection of our citizenship law and I do think people now recognise it was an injustice done in 2004. We are certainly bucking a trend in Ireland I must say as we see so many countries in Europe and elsewhere going to the right and going to a very worrying sort of populist nationalist you know uh, anti-migration anti-internationalist right uh, it's good to see Ireland bucking that trend. Okay we'll leave it there my thanks to Ivana Batchik Labour Senator and Ellen Coyne journalist with the Times Ireland edition thank you both for joining us and Happy New Year to both of you we'll be back in a moment.